Welcome to God's Open. I am your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, we're going to be taking a look at this William Lane Craig uh, post-debate review, William Lane Craig. And uh, I, th I think he's he's going to be criticizing what happened in the debate. So I'm not quite sure exactly what the subject matter is. I did skip ahead to like, I don't know, the 16-minute mark and listen to some of it. So this is this has got to be good. It's got to be good. Let's hear. This is a little surprising uh, to, to many of us. What went into your decision to have this exchange on Justin Brierley's program? Yeah. Well, I think people need to understand what I mean by a debate. As someone who was trained in competitive academic debating, by a debate, I mean a formal event that consists of structured, uh, timed speeches, constructive speeches, rebuttal speeches, and a closing statement, uh, which have specific time limits, which are kept and enforced by a timekeeper, and which is conducted according to the rules and the etiquette of academic debate. And I don't have time or interest in participating in that sort of debate with fellow believers. I want to debate non-Christians on university campuses, uh, on the truth of Christianity and these opposing views, but I have no interest at all in debating with other Christians. But, of course, I'm quite happy to be on an interview program with someone and to answer questions in an informal, conversational way. I did that several years ago. Yeah, let's talk about this real quick. Uh, good evening, Roddy. He writes, uh, evening. So let's talk about this real quick. Uh, I was in debate in high school. And uh, uh, like William Lane Craig talks about, it, there's time structures, it's, there, there's back and forth. Um, debate is actually not a very good way of exchanging information and coming to truth values. Uh, my experience in debate was you just get a bunch of evidence, you make some sort of uh, flow down of, the other, uh, of your opponent's arguments, and you just throw as much evidence at, at the wall as possible. You didn't even know what you're debating. Uh, in high school, my debate topic was um, the SALT II treaties. If you don't know what the SALT II treaties are, they're strategic arms treaties about denuclearization and Russia and uh, and the uh, uh, NATO, things like that. And no one knew what the heck they were talking about. We, we went and we found all these little pieces of evidence. And the goal was to just throw out evidence against the, your opponent. And you, you'd look at dates. It's like, oh, your article was from 1990. Mine's from 1991. So mine takes precedence. It's it's newer. Yours is outdated. Just nonsense like that. Nobody knew anything that we were talking about. Strategic arms treaties. We're a bunch of middle schoolers, high schoolers, talking about strategic arms treaties. No one knew anything. And so debates are not very helpful. William Lane Craig kind of points this out. He's not interested in a debate. His His goal with these types of interactions is have a discussion. He thought when he was uh, going to engage with James White, he's saying he thought he was going to have a discussion of, of Calvinism versus Molinism and how they deal with evil. But James White is a debater. He's one of these kids from high school debate who thought he was really smart. He was able to throw all that evidence at the wall and get some of it to stick. And all his fellow debater uh, preppy kids or whatever would uh, circle around him and congratulate him. And so now this is what he does for a living. He goes out there and does like little gotchas, just throwing things at the wall, uh, not even not even uh, trying to engage in honest discussion. So I put out on God is Open, and I think it was like Soteriology 101, the question, has a Calvinist ever asked you, oh, if you, you're talking about one of their proof texts, and you you say what you think the text is saying, have have they ever followed up and asked you, oh, what leads you to that conclusion in context? It, are they interested in a discussion about how you came to your conclusions based on what the text actually says? And the answer is overwhelmingly no. The people have not had that ever happen to them in their entire lives. That's because, in my experience, Calvinists don't care about the text. They don't care about the debate. Uh, they, they don't care about exchanging information. They're the debaters. They're the high school debaters who want to be right, will say anything to be right, will throw everything at the wall to be right, but it's not about exchanging truthful information. It's not about diving into the text. And so that's it's a, it's a real dangerous position to be in. We should be able to disassociate us ourselves from the text 
and be able to objectively talk about what's going on. And so a, a Christian and an atheist should be able to have a constructive conversation about the text of the Bible. But you're not going to find that typically, typically with Calvinists. Sometimes you will find it with Calvinists. Hashtag not all Calvinists, right? Hashtag not all Calvinists. But typically speaking, they're not interested in looking at context, figuring out what's going on, who's saying what, and what context to whom. And often, as we demonstrated in this program, they won't know the context of their own proof text. It, they're, they're high school debaters. They have a little evidence card. They don't know the context of their evidence card. And they're throwing it out to win talking points. They're not after truth, typically. Hashtag not all. But William Lane Craig is talking about that right now. He didn't think he was getting into a debate. He thought he was getting into a discussion. And then he gets there and James White turns it into a debate he, with little gotchas. Oh, look at my proof text. Huh. That means my theology and not yours. Huh. I'm going to give a five five minute monologue about why why this this means I'm right without letting you jump in and talk about my proof text that I'm using to disprove you. And so William Lane Craig does not sound happy in this post discussion. But again, he he handled the debate wonderfully. He was able to pull pull Jibs White around by his nose. And one thing you'll also see about these types of debates is go go to the comment section, and figure out who's saying what about each debater. Typically, the Calvinists will come into these debates and they'll say, oh, our side won. Oh, they made so much, so many good arguments. Typically, they won't give anything substantive. They won't say, oh, this was a really good particular, particularly good argument that James White gave that William Lane Craig uh, responded to or didn't respond to. And then uh, White followed up and, and pressed on, on this one point and he wasn't able to answer. They're not going to be able to point to things like that because when they're saying a debate's good or bad, it's what impression uh, did, happened. It's like, did the people who I like say the things that I like? It, it's not about who actually won the debate. It's not about writing down the list of evidences of both sides and comparing which, which uh, set of evidences is the best, closest to the truth, which is the most rational. It's did the people say things that I like. There was a guy who was just kicked off of the God is Open Facebook page. Uh, he said, oh, uh, you and Will Duffy, me and Will Duffy, we didn't have very good arguments for our debate. I said, oh, which argument in particular? He's like, oh, you didn't have a good response to uh, uh, the Sodom and Gomorrah incident in Genesis uh, 18. Uh, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Um, yeah, so it, it could be this. It could be that. It could be this. It's like, those aren't good arguments. Like, what are, what are you talking about? What you're saying is you just don't like what we're saying about it. Is there a reason that you reject the things that we're saying about the context? What, what does it mean when it, it talks very specifically about the information that flows to God, that uh, God listens and God receives and the cry goes out to him? Then he looks and considers. And there's this whole line of actions uh, within God. And it, it sounds like God's receiving information. What's going on in that text? He wouldn't answer me back. I said, well, it says what it says. And he he'd wanted to deny that as a possible interpretation. So go look at the comments of the debate and see what type of comments are being given by each side's advocates. If they're just vague, oh, we won the debate. Oh, William Lane Craig was just owned with, with no actual tangible examples of William Lane Craig being owned. So that, that's pretty funny. We'll get back to William Lane Craig, though with Paul Helm, as uh, James White notes, and I'm quite happy to have done it with him as well. Bill, one of my own observations, and I'm not alone on this, is that the topic was how mm. Calvinism and Molinism deal with the problem of evil. But it seems that Dr. White was more interested in making this about Calvinism versus Molinism. Did you feel that you had to keep it on track? I think that this is very uh, discerning of you, Kevin, and you're exactly right. When Justin Brierley asked me to participate uh, in this interview, he said the topic would be uh, Calvinism and Molinism, which has the better view of the problem of evil. And I said to Justin, you're going to have to keep this discussion on track. This is not about middle knowledge versus anti-middle knowledge views. This is about which of these views has the better solution to the problem of evil. And Justin said, I understand. I will keep it on track. And you may remember that when he introduced um, the interview, 
he put it this way. He said, which view, if true, would provide the best explanation of the evil? Roddy writes, it's about obfuscation. Calvinists, when they have you completely disoriented, then they'll ridicule the fact that you can't organize a coherent retort to their garbage. Again, uh, in high school debate, uh, one, one thing you would do is you'd get all your different evidences. And one strategy to win a debate is when you're, when you're uh, you know, you have judges at the debate and they'll have a legal pad, legal size pad, and they'll write down the, the, the flow of the arguments. And one strategy was to throw so much evidence at the wall um, that's just all over the place that, that your, your opposing team can't, couldn't follow that. And then your partner would, would track which comments that they actually responded to. So then in cross-examination or when you're giving your rebuttals, you'd say, hey, they didn't, they didn't respond to this point, this point, this point, this point, and you'd hammer it in, trying to win just through this shotgun strategy. Debates are about strategy. It's about perception. It's about how you behave, how you present yourself. Exchanges of information, discussions is about what, is, what does the data say? What does the text say? So discussions are way better than debates uh, for truth value. Debates are about personalities. Debates are about manipulating audience. I don't like debates in that format. I do like exchanges where, where you could get a back and forth. You could talk about things. And there, there's a little bit of interaction. So uh, in my debates, I, th I think I've been fortunate to have be able to have a little bit of that back and forth. People are able to flush out their ideas a little bit more and, and talk about what they mean rather than... <laughs> Uh, in uh, one of James White's debates, he gets real mad because uh, I think it was the Enyart debate because Enyart wanted to uh, ask him questions back or try to get a little bit of an exchange going. And so you, you see his personality come out. He does not want exchanges of information. It's all about debates. It's all about perception. It's all about ownage. It's all about winning. It, he is a high school debater. He's surrounded by his high school debate friends. They don't care about truth. They don't care about truth. They care about status. They care about winning. And suffering in the world. So you were supposed to presuppose the truth of the other person's view and then explore its adequacy with respect to how well it explains the evil. <laughs> James White was supposed to presuppose uh, the truth value of Molinism and then talk about Molinism. That's what Willie Blake Craig just said. That was supposed to be the format of this discussion. In the world. And that was exactly what I did. I, I said, let's assume Calvinism is true. How well does that handle moral evil? And I argued not very well because it makes God the author of evil. But James White didn't really do that. He never asked, if Molinism is true, how well does it explain the evil and suffering in the world? Instead, he treated this as a debate over Molinism per se and attack the truth of Molinism rather than the adequacy of its solution to the problem of evil. I don't think I did a very good job of keeping it on track, but on the other hand, I think if I had tried to avoid talking about middle knowledge and his objections to it, people would have thought I was being evasive because they often don't understand. And he was accused of that as well. James White switching the debate topic, what they agreed to discuss, um, coming in and doing this blindsiding thing, uh, obfuscation, and uh, maybe James White was counting on William Lane Craig trying to pull it back to the topic of the debate. I don't think James White wants to talk about if your system is true, you know, how does this explain the problem of evil? Calvinism is not is not actually the system, the theology that you want to talk about if you're talking about the problem of evil. Will Duffy in his debate with Matt Slick is, do, does uh, does Calvinism make God evil? He did a great disservice by going off track to start arguing, is Calvinism biblical? That's besides the point. Just grant all, all of Matt Slick's points. Oh, Matt Slick says, oh, God lies to all these people so that they, they go to hell. He should have just said, okay, we'll just grant that reading of those verses for the sake of this debate, because our debate's not about that. That sounds very evil. <laughs> if God's just lying to a bunch of people to send them to hell, that, that does sound pretty evil. And I think you're conceding the debate. Is our debate over? Because I, I think I think I just would. Understand the precision of the wording of a topic, uh, which in this case was specifically limited to the problem of evil. Well, 
there has been so much response online that it's difficult to narrow it down. Hmm. But Bill, let's look at a few responses. Wintry Knight has had a blog for a long time. He said, quote, yes. if I could boil down the mistake that James White makes to one sentence, it would be to say that he comes to the text of the Bible with a philosophical presupposition, yeah. determinism. Mm -hmm. And this causes him to misinterpret the plain meaning of the text as a whole. And this misinterpretation isn't about peripheral teachings of the Bible. His embrace of God as the cause of moral evil means that he denies the goodness of God, a basic mm -hmm. Christian doctrine. Yeah, so one thing James White does in the debate is uh, we saw that towards the end of the debate where he's like, look at this example of Joseph. God's working it for good, and, and the brothers wanted to work it for evil. Ha, Calvinism's true. It's like the Molinists is like, yeah, we believe that too. The open theists over here were like, yeah, we believe that too. It doesn't mean Calvinism is right and open theism is wrong. It doesn't mean Calvinism's right and Molinism is wrong. That's not what the verse is saying. That verse does not assume the Calvinist framework, where which every single molecule that ever existed is uh, foreordained and predestined and controlled by the secret will of God to some secret destination. That's that's not what's going on there. there there's a group of bad people meaning to do harm, and there's God meaning to do good. Yeah, God could do things. God can do things. This is compounded by his embrace of double predestination, although that was not the topic of the debate. Christians shouldn't let a philosophy, determinism, override the plain meaning of scripture determine yeah if you notice the gaslight lighting as well throughout the debate uh it was uh james white he kept saying oh you're just you're just using your philosophy and and uh william lane craig is you are too the difference is i'm i'm, I'm admitting that i'm using my philosophy in order to interpret the text you're just doing it and then claiming you're just reading the bible and so that that was a good exchange with william lane craig but the James White supporters are like, oh, he admitted to using philosophy as if the one person, if you admit you're using philosophy, that means the other person's not using philosophy automatically. All right. Is man's philosophy. It's a Greek philosophy that existed centuries before Christ. Bill, what do you think about what Wintery Knight says here? I agree with Wintery Knight. I have said in the past, Kevin, that the man who claims to have no need for philosophy is the man who is most apt to be deceived by it. Now, I said that of Stephen Hawking, but I think it could equally be said of James White. Uh, claiming to have... <laughs> yeah, so that that's actually an interesting question. So when I read the Bible, my question is, what was the philosophy of the writers of the Bible? Not does philosophy exist or not. It's more of a historical question. When you're reading the text of the Bible, there, there's an author. He has an audience. He's trying to convince that audience of something, communicate something of value to that audience. What does the author have in mind? That should be our primary concern. And I don't think the author of Genesis is saying Calvinism is true in his communications about uh, the life and times of Joseph. I don't think that's what's going on there. I don't think an honest rational reader would read that in there and say, oh, this writer thought in, about uh, total predestination of all things, always in all circumstances. No, I, I, I don't read that. I don't read that. Instead, you have one instance of God doing things that wicked people intend for bad and turning them for good. No philosophy. Uh, he imposes unwittingly on the text his own philosophy of universal divine that's pretty gracious of William Lane Craig. He said that James White unwittingly does it. I don't think so. Again, debates are not about truth value. D debates are about deceiving the audience, manipulating the audience. I think James White knows what he's doing. I think he knows what he's doing. William Lane Craig is giving him too much credit just saying that he's ignorant of what he's doing. No, this is malicious. This is willful. Determinism, and he uh, misunderstands the important role of philosophy in shaping and guiding reformed theology itself. Wintery Knight also says, James White was also clearly unfamiliar with the philosophy <laughs> of religion of his own reformed tradition, and ah. especially with the history of the development of reformed theology. 
Craig was able to correct him by showing him the books on Reformed dogmatics and explain the historical antecedents of Reformed thought. <laughs> Bill, that's when you pulled out that big book. <laughs> that was a pretty funny part of the debate. Four-volume history of post-Reformation <laughs> Reformed dogmatics by Richard Muller, which I have consulted in connection with my own systematic philosophical theology. And I've been writing for the last uh, several months on the attributes of God. And in my work, Kevin, I first explore what is the biblical basis for certain of the divine attributes. And what I found so often, Kevin, is that the biblical data are underdeterminative, uh, that it's frustrating. You can't prove from the Bible uh, exactly what God's attribute is. So I gave several examples. Yeah, okay, we should play that on repeat like five times. So William Lane Craig is admitting that these attributes that he finds for God are can't actually be clearly delineated in the Bible. And I, I would agree t as well that the Bible's not a systematic theology textbook. The, the, the Bible's more about practical living. How do we live? How do we relate? How do we interact with God? How do we go about in our day-to-day -day life? It's, it's not like a, a system of doctrine. We're not reading a systematic theology. It's not talking about the origin of God and the nature of metaphysics. That's, that's not what it's about. Again, people back then were practically minded. How do I live now so that I could commune with God and exchange, get favors or, or be part of this in-group, this, this uh, the cult of Yahweh, if it, if it were? People in within throughout the Bible expected here and now benefits for their commune with God. That, that's what's going on in the Bible. So it's it's not a systematic theology textbook. It's it's a, a manual of practical living. Examples in the conversation with James White, uh, the attribute of necessity or necessary existence. I would love to have a scriptural proof text to show that God exists necessarily in every possible world. Look at that. He's just admitting it. He's just saying it. Yes, there's no proof text in the Bible that God is necessary. Um, and necessary meaning this philosophical attribute in which of all possible worlds that could ever exist, God must exist in all of them. And then God can't commit deicide, deisuicide. He can't like kill himself and go out of existence or something like that. Um, you'd be hard pressed to find in the Bible statements that God is, is necessary. Uh, he's, 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 uh, he's not a contingent being. But in philosophy, they really don't want God to be a contingent being because their idea is if any being is a contingent being, then it's a created being. But that's not biblical theology. That's, that's post-biblical theology. That's Platonism. That's middle Platonism. That's neoplatonism. Those are these ideas that are not biblical ideas. The medievals appealed to Exodus 3.14, I am that I am. But commentators seem to agree that at most that would suggest God's eternal existence. And that's not the same thing as God's broadly, logically necessary existence, that God exists in every possible. Very true. And of course, uh, that it'd probably be better translated as, I will be who I will be. And, and the context of Exodus 3 is God talking about his relationship with Israel. I could be whoever I want to be. And so that, that's, a, that's a completely contingent statement that would violate this doctrine of necessity. Well, world. Or, or take divine eternity. The provisional, the provisionist perspective is in the house. How's it going? I, I assume it's Drew. The Bible is ambiguous as to whether God's eternity means that God is timeless or whether God is infinite throughout all time. Or again, uh, the attribute of God's relationship to space. Is God omnipresent? in the sense that he transcends space altogether, but is active at every point in space? Or does God actually in some way fill space itself? Or the attribute of divine simplicity? We all agree that as a spiritual being, God has no physical parts. He's not put together out of pieces that could come apart. But that doesn't imply that God doesn't have distinct properties, or that God has no potentiality, or that God's essence 
is existence. So William Lane Craig uh, thinks that God does have potentialities. He he denies divine simplicity, the doctrine of divine simplicity, that God has no parts in that God can't have any, any predicates and God can't uh, change at, in any way. So he denies a classical divine simplicity, but he affirms this divine simplicity in that God can't dissolve, which, which is interesting. So if you're a Trinitarian, it, it seems natural that you would deny divine simplicity, Trinity, simplicity, the parts, just, just by definition. But uh, one of the funny comments on uh, someone posted on YouTube was some Calvinist going, oh, the only way you could affirm divine simplicity is if you're a Trinitarian. It's like, what are you talking? That's, that's the exact opposite of the truth. And yet, Reformed dogmatics borrows from medieval Catholic uh, philosophy uh, the doctrines of divine necessity, timelessness, spacelessness, and simplicity. The, it's wholesale reproduced in Reformed dogmatics. And James White would be uh, very hard-pressed to give any sort of biblical justification for that interpretation of the doctrine of God. This is a, um, a synoptic or, or synergistic working together of biblical data and theological reflection to try to determine what God's attributes are like. Yeah, I definitely should clip that and put that uh, in its own little podcast, uh, showing showing William Lane Craig saying again and again, the classical attributes of God you're not going to find in the Bible. They, they're not going to be found in any of the texts, the verses. The verses could have various other meanings. You're just not going to have these definitive proofs for these classical attributes. And of course, the, the answer is, the reason why is because none of the biblical authors actually thought like this. Remember, this sort of thing is very important to people like James White, uh, important even to William Lane Craig, important to uh, Augustine and uh, Neoplatonist Christian fathers. These are important attributes, but they were not important attributes to the biblical authors. The Bible is about practical living, a relation, relationship, relational living with God, in communion with God. What do I do for God? What does God do for me? How does our relationship work? How, what does God think about? Uh, how, how can you influence God? Th these are the biblical concerns. It, it's a relationship rather than a metaphysics, rather than a doctrine. And Bill, this exchange just happened relatively recently. And so uh, all the response is just now coming in. Um, yeah, the disciple of... Korea says William Lane Craig's two greatest weaknesses. He tends to be overly dramatic, dogmatic, and he gives people the benefit of the doubt when the evidence suggests not to. Yeah, like he's giving a, uh, James White the, the benefit of the doubt. Oh, he he ignorantly says this, or he doesn't know what he's saying when he says this. No, he, he knows full well what he's doing. James White knows what he's doing. It's maliciousness. So let's, let's try not to be too gullible when we're interacting with people who interact in bad faith. And remember, we have a lot of podcasts about how to test out if someone's acting in bad faith. Are they actually trying to explore what you think? Are they accurately uh, communicating back and forth about your view? Or are they going off on weird tangents and trying to pull you into other parts of the Bible or do proof text trumping or or going on monologues without uh, uh, answering questions. Answering questions, that's a big one. If they don't answer very basic questions about their belief, they're probably not there for uh, exchange of information. It's probably not there for a dialogue. It's there for a monologue, there for ownage, there for uh, street cred to go to your friends and say, oh, I was on this Arminian page and uh, I got kicked off because they were just so scared of all my arguments. And then all, all the fellow Calvinists, they, they circle around and say, oh, you're so good. Wow, you're amazing. I don't want people to think that we're just playing some of the clips and some of the quotes from people who are in your corner. But so far, most of them have been. Uh, maybe in the future, we'll do another podcast of people who are maybe a little more in, in favor of, uh, of James White or whatever. But in the meantime, we've been collecting some clips and some reaction. Here's a clip. It's a response from... Leighton Flowers, he and uh, Eric Hernandez got together and discussed the exchange a little bit. We'll go to clip one here. This is Dr. Flowers and his response. 
many of you have watched the William Lane Craig, uh, James White debate over Molinism. And, and I want to just to give a, 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 some of a preface. Some people were asking my thoughts on it. I, I was frustrated through a lot of it because a lot of the discussion was derailed based <laughs> upon what you saw there in that first clip, that uh, it, it seemed to me that, that Dr. White was speaking more from a theological vantage point and, uh, and William Lane Craig more from you know, a philosopher's vantage point in some ways. Um, they go hand in hand. Uh, you don't do one without the other, regardless of what some people may say. Um, that you 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 always end up doing this philosophy, especially when it comes to interpretation. So so just keep keep your mind on that. Keep your eye on that. James White wants to gaslight you into saying that his position is the biblical position. What what he does to do that is he does read. He does in fact turn to the Bible and read a Bible verse. But then he has these wild non sequitur conclusions about that Bible verse. If there's a passage in which uh, Joseph's brothers intend to do evil and then God uses it and intends to do good, that means Calvinism is true. That's a non sequitur. That's non sequitur. Uh, we use evil people's actions all the time to do good. Uh, you could use Russia to fight the Nazis, right? And uh, you could hate both of them if you want. You could use the ACLU to defend you against uh, if someone's trying to come at, after you for uh, free speech. Uh, evil organization you can use for good. These are things you can do. And so uh, the James White position is, is entirely gaslighting. Oh, we're the biblically based ones. Why? Because we say we're the biblically based ones. Did you hear me read my proof text that I didn't let you respond to that I had a five minute monologue about? Reading text and how you interpret things, especially uh, infinite qualities such as omniscience and how that works with the free will. You can't you can't. The question is, Eric Hernandez a Molinist? I, I have no idea. I've I don't know if I've actually ever listened to Eric Hernandez. Maybe like a podcast or something somewhere. But yes, uh, provisionist perspective says yes, he is a Molinist. Okay, that's interesting. I think he has a post debate review as well that uh, I'll have to probably watch at some time. He seems like an okay guy. Getting into philosophical statements, and so some of the conversation didn't go very deep into the intricacies of Molinism because it seemed to me that that Dr. White was focusing on an issue Dr. White that, that really wasn't even in Dr. Craig's purview. In other words, um, this is something that derives from the scripture. God is sinless. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. In other words, God is maximally great. I think both William Lane Craig and uh, Dr. White agree with this statement that, that the scripture clearly teaches us that God is maximally great. <laughs> I don't, um, the Bible also clearly. I, I, from this podcast, I don't think William Lane Craig actually is going to take that position that that's clearly what the Bible teaches. Um, so that is interesting that Leighton Flower, maybe, maybe one day we have Leighton Flowers say on his podcast, no, it's not clear that the Bible teaches classical omniscience, classical simplicity, classical timelessness, classical uh, omnipotence, or even classical classical immutability. None of these things are clearly taught in the Bible. It's, it's all extrapolation based on data which could go either way. As William Lane Craig was pointing out previously here, that the eternal ones, it could go the way that he's eternal outside of time or just like everlasting. And of course, it, it's everlasting. It teaches us that man is a responsible sinner. Uh, we're justly held culpable for our sins, our actions. That, those are not points of contention. Both Calvinists and Molinists um, and everyone in between, and I think Molinism, like Dr. Craig says, is consistent with the scriptures and a, a, a biblically viable way to explain how uh, these two truths that are in scripture can be reconciled. How yeah, so if, if you're, you have a theology or a philosophy that's unfalsifiable, it will in fact fit a lot of data. How does an omnipotent, all-knowing, God create free creatures who are responsible for their choices. How does that work? Um, these two truths are derived from scripture. I think we can all agree with that. I think Dr. Craig would say, yes, absolutely. These two truths are derived from scripture, but the debate is over how it seems to me. White doesn't treat it as if it's a <laughs> philosophical worldview. However, he treats it as if it's just from the Bible. What do you think about what Layton just said there? Well, I tend to agree more with Wintry Knight that you quoted before. I think White has a very naive um, view of theological method. It is not true. Not naive. It's malicious. That he approached the question theologically, and I approached it philosophically. It is precisely that false dichotomy that 
needs to be challenged. Rather, we both approach the topic as systematic theologians trying to make sense out of the truths that are taught in Scripture, which included those two truths that Leighton Flower mentioned. Uh, White's way of explaining the biblical data is universal divine determinism. My view is that it's best explained by a middle knowledge. Um, but even at that, Kevin, as I say, that wasn't supposed to be the topic under the debate. Uh, the conversation was supposed to be which view, if true, is the best explanation of the evil and suffering uh, in the world. And uh, I'd stand by my position that making God the author of evil uh, is something that impugns the goodness of God that Leighton Flowers rightly says cannot be compromised. I believe this is a shorter clip. This is the second clip from Leighton. And I, I think this one starts out with uh, James White and then Leighton's response. Let's go to that clip. And so when we talk about the difference between a Calvinist and a Molinist, the assertion that is being made, and this is what came up in the, in the previous conversation, the assertion, and this, is, this was the clarifying remark that Bill made right toward the end of the discussion. Here's the quote. What the Molinist does say that the Calvinist does find objectionable is that God is not in control of which subjunctive conditionals are true. He doesn't determine the truth value of these subjunctive conditionals. That's outside his control. Okay. In my estimation, all that statement is from Dr. Craig that he just read is saying God doesn't determine the choices of men. Okay. And I know it's very long and philosophical and it sounds a lot more complex than just that, but I think that's all Dr. Craig is saying is that the thing that God does not control is the moral choice of man. That's the thing he does not control. Now he's speaking about that thing, whatever that thing is, that, that thing that he does not control, the, the choice of man, he's speaking at it from a Molinistic perspective of God in his infinite nature. And therefore that's why it sounds so complex and difficult to follow. But basically, that's that's the only thing that it seems like White is reading about there. It's just that God doesn't determine the choices of men. And yeah, that, that obviously is our position. That's what libertarian free will is all about. God is not the determiner of what we will determine. He allows us to make certain some determinations. Those determinations don't make us superheroes. As Dr. Pritchett is famous for saying, free will is not a superpower. So just because God grants us the ability to make choices doesn't mean that we somehow thwart the will of God or that we become more powerful than God. The only reason we have free will to begin with is because he chose for us to have free will. And so it's not as if God is giving mankind an, an ability and then he's just going, uh-oh, now I give him ability. Now I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm at, the, at their whim. Yeah, we already talked a little bit about uh, signs of intellectual dishonesty. People, if you're interacting with someone, uh, one of the tells that they're not actually in, interested in exchanges of information is if they use rhetorical speaking devices to try to undermine your position. Uh, just, just uh, what, what did he just say? That, uh, that now we're more powerful than God. What person in their right mind would classify a kid opening presents on Christmas as that kid is more powerful than the parents because he accepted the gift freely, right? No one, no one would talk like that. No one would claim anything like that. It's, it's a bad faith exchange when people do this. It, it, it's, it's insane. It's insane that they, they, would, they champion these things. And, and it's also insane that it resonates with Calvinists in general. I don't think it resonates. They're memes that uh, criticize Arminian positions, I don't think they resonate with normal, rational people. It only resonates with the in-group because they all care about these crazy things for some reason. I, I can't tell you how many times I saw, I've seen the meme about uh, Christ can pick his, her, his own bride, just like a man picks his wife. It's like, for like uh, monergistic picking of someone. It's insane that they think this is a good argument, that that's actually even a, a parallel or illusion, and they'll share it without any sense of shame or humility or even that, even worse than that, that other Calvinists don't try to intervene on their fellow Calvinists for pressing these talking points. There's no intervention. There's no Hey guys, let's step back and maybe not use this argument anymore because number one, uh, the parallel is just, it's not a parallel at all. 
it doesn't illustrate what we're trying to illustrate. It illustrates the opposite also, and it makes God look very evil. So may, maybe, guys, intervention time. Let's step back and do maybe a different illusion, like like a, a man picks his, I don't know, dinner, something, anything, anything else rather than rape. That would be, in fact, a better parallel. But you don't see that. There's, there's no uh, intervention within their own circle to stop these talking points which really suggests to me this cult-like mentality. Again, go go read uh, the paper that uh, I think we le link to it on the Cult of Calvinism video, where it, it talks about the Melu control of the Calvinist circles and, and how they think and act. And it's very, very cult-like, very controlling, thought-controlling, trying to stop outside influences, trying to stop people from reading literature that doesn't agree with their shared doctrine. And I can't handle it. Bill, did that uh, go more toward the problem of evil and where the debate was no, supposed to be? No, he's still debating about middle knowledge okay. and uh, the fact that these counterfactuals of creaturely freedom are not determined by God. I don't think this is all so complex and difficult as Leighton seems to present it. The, the question is, does God determine what you would do in various circumstances? And the Molinist says, no, he leaves it up to you to do whatever you would freely choose to do. But White, you see, is so committed to universal divine determinism that just saying that about Molinism is in his mind a refutation. <laughs> uh, just to state the Molinist view that God does not determine um, the truth value of these counterfactuals, to him, that's a refutation. Uh, to me, it's just a description. Yeah, you're going to find this uh, pretty often in the Calvinist circles. Oh, they think that just stating someone else's view is, in fact, the refutation of that view. That's on, on face face value obvious why that view is false. Some Sometimes that, that's good and, and well, but it, it has to be obvious. It has to, has to be like on the face value absurd. Of the view... Uh, and the, the, I don't see any reason to think that divine determinism is true. On the contrary, I see good reason to think it false because it makes God the cause of evil. One more quick clip from Eric Hernandez. Let's hear from Eric. Both men are attempting to take the data of Scripture and construct some type of systematic to explain it. Um, right. So I, I don't believe that. They get they give White too much credit. They, they, they're so generous in, in their motives that they ascribe to him. What I, what I found funny and even ironic, White would quote scripture as if he's going to quote something Christ's going to disagree with. You know, just quoting the scripture isn't, isn't proof of your position. The question is not, do you believe this part of scripture? The question is, how do we explain it? How do we understand this? And that's going to take some philosophy. The, that yeah, so uh, again, that is a tell that this is not about exchange of truth. James White's not interested in truth. He wants a debate. He wants gotchas. He wants to come out of this debate looking like the hero, looking like the victor. He wants to actually get another mark under his, uh, what, what do you do? Uh, you're, you're flying a plane and you shoot someone down and you put a little uh, mark on the tail and that's your little tally. He wants that tally and what, he wants it to be William Lane Craig. He wants a win. He wants his perception after this debate, his, his outside perception, how people perceive him to be elevated. This is not about exchange of truth. This is not about reasonably dialoguing about different ways of viewing scripture. This is about, I'm right and you're wrong. and I'm going to do everything, throw everything at the wall I can to show that you're wrong. And when William Lane Craig wouldn't let him have this, and he he, he pulled him around and and. Uh, uh, Judo chopped James White, and James White got real frustrated. We saw James White's meltdown throughout the debate because James White instantly realized that the perception that he wanted to come out from this debate was not actually going to uh, occur. Uh, we're going to have to uh, sometime change over and look at James White's damage control video to see how he, how he tries to run damage interference before the actual debate aired because he was in full damage control mode Putting out, putting out videos about his exchange before it came out in order to try to frame it, frame it correctly to his audience before he just got trounced. Oh, it's fantastic. But he's a charlatan. He cares about public perception 
more than he does truth. That guy is exactly right, uh, Hernandez. The we were both presenting our systematic theological constructs to explain the data of scripture. Um, and White, oddly enough, for all his emphasis on theology, his objections to Molinism were not scriptural. They were philosophical. He was objecting to Molinism on the basis of truth maker maximalism, that there needs to be truth makers for these subjunctive conditionals prior to the divine decree. And in the absence of these, he didn't see how they could be. Yeah, that, that is an accurate criticism. James White is couching his debate as a biblically-based debate, and then his primary attack was about philosophy, truth maker value. And so William Lane Craig is accurately representing what actually happened. And James White does not accurately represent what happens when James White says, oh, I'm the only one who talked the Bible. William Lane Craig didn't. He, uh, Will, James White failed to prove that William Lane Craig did not accept his proof text at face value. True or false? Well, that's that's not a theological or biblical objection. That's a philosophical objection. So I found it rather ironic that the man in the dialogue who claimed to be speaking solely on biblical bases was in fact the one who was using philosophical arguments to try to refute the interlocutor's opinion. It's gaslighting. Bill, I wish we had more time to hear from Tim Stratton and Tyson James. Uh, they've done a great response on YouTube with a video. Uh, we'll maybe revisit it in a future podcast. But for now, they, <clears throat> excuse me, but for now, they did address the grounding objection. Can you talk a little bit about the grounding ah, objection? Well, this is the objection that I just referred to. The claim here is that logically prior to God's decree to create a world, there isn't any ground for the truth of these counterfactuals of freedom. And what I pointed out is that this presupposes a very crude view of what's called a truth maker theory of truth, which says that truths have truth makers. And a so earlier in this discussion, I don't know if you caught it, but they actually did define their own view of free will. And the idea of free will is that we make our decisions ourselves. And so in what way is that true? Let, let's, let's say that's accurate, that when they describe their own view as, as holding libertarian free will, that we make our own decisions, how can that actually be true if my decisions are fatalistically in stone, have truth values, hundreds of thousands of years, millions of years, billions of years, however much time into time infinity past, my decisions are set in stone. How can I have free will? How can I uh, be able to make these choices? Before I even existed to make these choices, my choices were set in stone. They, they can't be falsified. They can't be other than what God knows they will be. In what sense do I have free will? I, that you can't you can't reconcile the two. It's it, it's a shifting definition. Radical version of truth maker theory is truth maker maximalism, which says that every truth has a truth maker, and I think that doctrine is very plausibly false. And I gave a counterexample to it. Uh, do you remember? I said, how about the proposition that Baal does not exist? What is the truth maker for that, other than just the fact that Baal does not exist? And if you allow facts as your truth makers, well, then you can allow facts to be the truth makers for these counterfactuals of freedom. What you cannot claim. Or, or you could just make the, the point that uh, propositions have to be about actual things that exist, not non-existent things. Implausibly is that the truth makers have to be concrete objects. There are just numerous examples of truths which have no concrete objects as their truth makers. And yet that seems to be what James White is presupposing. Now, this does get into technical issues. And if anybody's interested in following it up, I have an article on the website, on the Reasonable Faith website, in the section on divine omniscience, on the grounding objection to middle knowledge. Uh, and I think that that will acquaint our uh, listeners um, quite well 
with this objection and its solution. Uh, Christopher writes, yeah, but JC said he was the cloud writer taking the title from Baal. Yeah, so I think JC's uh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, Yahweh is described as a cloud rider, and he fights he fights the sea monsters as well, also taking illustrations from ancient Near East motifs. Or or maybe perhaps, as uh, uh, Fish Fishbane Fishbane points out in his book, maybe they're meant to take these things literally. Maybe they actually are meant to believe that God fought a sea monster in the sea during creation. That's, that's something we have to explore as a possibility. Bill, as we conclude today, I, I think that this is a very important exchange that, that happened. Uh, and thanks to Justin Brierley for having the insight. Yeah, Christopher points out that that's what God always does. I'm stronger than your gods. You guys got these gods. They're weak. You say they're the storm god. Guess what? Yahweh's actually the storm god. Yahweh can fight you. Yahweh can beat you. You guys are nothing. You guys are powerless. You can't even, you can't even do what you say you're going to do. Uh, you, Israel, you know I'm the true God because I can do the things I say I'm going to do, and that that way you can know that I'm the true God and they're not. They're powerless. They're they're subordinate. They're they're nothing. To, to bring the two of you on to discuss this, even though it got a little off topic from time to time, and 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 there are a lot of issues concerning the problem of evil that should have been addressed and so on. All right, now let's go look at the comments in this debate and we could pro probably try evil. Uh, pause James White in his church lady outfit. We'll, we'll take a look at the comments and how the Calvinists respond versus non-Calvinists. Maybe I could uh, blow this up a little bit. Uh-oh, let's go scroll through here down to the comments. Oh, look at that, like 6,000 comments, gross. I'm a Molinist. I'm thankful for both these men. Uh, I'm willing to have my mind changed. I'm listening very careful to Dr. White because of his clear thought. Oh, okay. Eh. Let's keep going. I've displaced Arminian. This has been an invaluable discussion. Thank you, Dr. White and Dr. Craig. Oh, that's, that's pretty gracious. All right. Where is a Calvinist? <laughs> uh, okay. He's just saying that he's shocked that William Lane Craig actually debated James White. William Lane Craig was tricked into a debate. He didn't think it was a debate. He thought he was going to be in a discussion, in a, a gracious discussion. So he was blindsided with this. This was an epic debate. We need more of these discussions. Oh, I guess that it was. Okay. It strikes me how much in common James White has with young earth creationists. My interpretation is the only right interpretation. So your biblical evidence is moot. Okay. I'm a young earth creationist, but I don't think I say that ever. So probably hashtag not all, I guess. Oh, where is a pro white person? It, or it's hard to find pro-white people on, on, on the basic replies. Maybe we'll go by, instead of most relevant, we'll do newest first. That might give us a better sample. Or it could be that our sample of comments is representative of the general understanding of the debate that <laughs> White's knockout argument as a Bolno was a Jesuit. Great. Thanks, James. I guess he's predestined to be one, so don't hold it against him. I felt that Mr. White was arrogant. Yep. Is the timelessness and spacelessness of God is taught in scripture. No idea where William Lane Craig is getting that statement from. Okay. Um, so he it's probably in response to William Lane Craig saying that timelessness and spacelessness is not taught in scripture, which is absolutely true. But if you notice, if this this comment is a Calvinist, and this Calvinist is complaining that William Lane Craig made this claim. How easy would have it been for Mr. J.R. to throw in a little bit of evidence to prove that timelessness and spacelessness are taught within the Bible? You like you could you could copy. We have copy and paste these days. We don't actually have to type out verses. You could just turn to the verse that you think is a reference, and you could like copy it, and then you could pay. you could even just take the reference and copy and paste it. This is a criticism that's in, in specific. It's not giving us anything substantive. You could have right there made your case. I love, love how Craig demolishes James White. Okay, here's a guy. My problem with Bill is his perspective. I see this as being vastly more plausible. 
okay that 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 actually sounds like a rational thing to do when when we're dealing with data and data interpretation um data can be interpreted multiple ways so and one example i use in my book is the same messy room could be a due to years of neglect or a carefully crafted movie scene right e each each of those explanations uh explains the data how the data sits and so the only thing that gives us what what's the true interpretation of the data is further context but uh bill william lane craig he he is more honest in saying that they're looking for plausible explanations not not exclusive explanations that's the more honest way to treat things and so clayton th thinks that's a big problem with bill because bill's talking about plausibility and you know, if you say, "Oh, this is plausible, but it could be this," you don't look confident. It's it's not a debate strategy. It's not if you're in high school debating, you don't look confident. You're not winning the debate if you say, "Oh, it could be this, but it, this is plausible as well." It could be that the confident person just throwing out random proof texts at the wall, throwing out random evidences. They're the ones seen as the confident person. They're the ones who get the wins in high school debates. Remember, James White is a high school debater. He's not a seeker of truth. His goal here is not about exchanging information. His goal is about notching up another win in his debate win record. That's what he wants. And so Clayton, he says, he takes the concepts outside the Bible to interpret the same Bibles, uh, same with his views on biology and cosmic evolution, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Yeah. His criticism is just restating William Lane Craig, his, his problem with William Lane Craig is the things that William Lane Craig says about his own view. Okay, thanks, Clayton. Very informative. Uh, thank you for your contribution to the comments here. Um, very intelligent. All right, keep going. Does anyone, anyone in the comments think that White won this debate? Okay, there's things on Dr. White's part that are frustrating to watch. Yeah, the face on James White looks disturbed, annoyed, and mad. Oh, he picks it up. King Delicacies picks it up. He has wins, jurors rights. Well, yeah, everyone uh, proclaims James White the winner on all King James debates. I have never watched a James White King James debate. Uh, I don't intend to, but I have been told by reliable sources that he is good at debating King James onlyism. Fantastic. All right. Um, great discussion, this guy says. Uh, in essence, James is addressing why. Bill is saying how, I, I guess. Big brain time. Stop deleting my comments, guys. A lot, here's one thing about YouTube, if you don't know it. Sometimes I'll get notifications for comments on my videos, and I try to click on the comment to respond to the comment, and the comment's gone. And, and these are like innocent comments, like, um, tell us about Paul talking about the 400 years Exodus within the book of uh, Acts or, or, what, or Romans or wherever he addresses that. Uh, how, does, how does that go along with the time frames discussed in the Old Testament? And those comments will be missing. It's like, I don't think these people are deleting the comments on their own. I think YouTube is purposely deleting comments, innocent comments that are, that are, they're not violating any rules. Uh, it's just, it's a bad platform. And so if any of your comments disappear from my, my video, uh, I don't delete comments except for if they're just like on the Enyart tribute video, I deleted a bunch of people coming here, they're saying, oh, good thing he's dead. The people who had substance, who's like, good thing he's dead because he said this one thing I didn't like this one time and it hurt my feelings real bad. I left those comments, but just the people reveling in the death. But otherwise, I don't delete any comments, but uh, YouTube does that. So, ugh. James, I pray God humbles you from David Clark. Did we read a David Clark already? I would like to hear more scripture from Craig that demonstrates his position. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Predestination is biblical. Uh, Ephesians 5.11 says, Molina was borderline blasphemous when he perpetuated the idea that we could overrule God's will. Oh, thanks for your contribution. Very brilliant. Uh, big brain, Ephesians 5.11, gold star. I Thank you for coming. That, that, that was very useful and informative. Ah, Bill does not understand Calvinism. He's confused. When, when did uh, James White ask Bill 
to put himself in the Calvinist shoes and talk about Calvinism. I, I don't know. Molinism is a make-believe system without any foundation in Scripture. Bill spin on Genesis shows that he does not understand the implications of it. And so here, here's the thing we see that a lot of these comments are nonspecific. They have just vague criticisms. They're just throwing them out there. James White supporters, uh, especially. Sometimes you get it on the other side. And a majority of these comments are actually saying that James White lost this debate, that uh, William Lane Craig won the debate. But the, even the supporters of White, it's just this vague, oh, Molinism is heresy. Oh, Molinism is bad. It's make-believe. It, it's, it's evil. I don't know. So I, I think that does demonstrate something about Calvinists and their groupthink and their avoidance of actual exchanges of information and their propensity, propensity to want to be right in their own eyes within their own circles to gather wins rather than exchange truths or try to understand other people's points of views. I think this debate was pretty good. And it could be, it could be selection bias that just the worst Calvinists are the followers of James White who, who comment on his videos, who goes and watches his debate. It could be that he attracts the worst of the worst, that they, they migrate to this individual. But it says, don't worry, bro, we're not offended. And uh, Christopher writes, he should have quoted one word from Ephesians 1. In <laughs> oh, James White in the debate, he just like quotes a Greek word. It's just like, what are you doing? It's, it's Again, it's high school debate. High school debate. Um, you're just trying to show off for the audience. You're trying to manipulate the audience. Oh, I'm the intellectual here because I said this one Greek word. Happy? Uh, I win the debate. See? See? Very very scholarly. Very scholarly. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll do a couple more comments. Always a good discussion when Dr. White is in the room. <laughs> okay. Okay. James White, it's a paradox that black is white, but it's a mystery why it's true. Appeal to secret will, hidden knowledge. Yeah, that could be an accurate summary. <laughs> oh, here we go. Craig is also not born again because he is not once saved all... What? Once saved, always saved Armenian. He believes a person can lose salvation after being saved. Oh no! Does uh, thank you for coming and commenting. Whereas Armenians are once saved, always saved, uh, and can never lose salvation. The thing about Craig is that he almost always avoids the problem of his faith because he loses dramatically each time. Don't come to a debate about God and evil and just start talking about whatever pet concern. Yeah, uh, I guess. I guess. Uh, thank you very much, Parcher. Um, now I know that. William Lane Craig is not once saved, only saved. A critical doctrine that if you don't believe it, you're not saved. And and if you don't believe that once saved, always saved is a salvation doctrine, also that it's it's a salvation inception. You have to believe that it's also a salvific issue in order to be saved. I, I don't know how these things work. Anyways, I think that does give us a good overview of the Calvinist mindset. I think it was a good debate discussion. I think Eric Hernandez might have a good post-debate discussion on this as well that might be worth checking out at some point. I, but I do need to turn to James White's own explanation, his, his, his couching his own loss, because that would be interesting to watch his behaviors and mannerisms because he knows it. He knows this is a loss for him, despite his followers saying otherwise. Besides his followers saying, oh, Molinism is heresy, therefore James White won. <laughs> Bill Craig with another win. Jared, David. <laughs> if our attitude is a reflection of the God we worship, uh, James White's God is an angry, sarcastic bully. Okay. A good times. But all right, we're going to quit there. We're at about an hour. That's pretty good. And it's uh, holiday time. So I got to probably vacuum the house and get that ready for, for family. I don't, I don't like cleaning too much, but... Uh, Gonna be forced into it. So happy holidays, everyone. Effeminate drunk mannerisms. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, church lady clothes. Uh, how many church ladies had to die to get James White his wardrobe? How many good wills had to be stacked with church lady clothes to outfit James White for this one debate, even? All right. Thank you for listening. We'll sign off there. <laughs>